Hello skiers, welcome back to another episode of the Global Skiing Podcast. I'm your host Tom Gelly, and in today's episode we get to listen to Ron LaMaster. Now Ron LaMaster is an author of four books, two of which are really well known, Skier's Edge and Ultimate Skiing. Now if you've not read either of these books, I can highly recommend you get out there now. If you're really into technical skiing, get out there. Purchase this book and spend your season reading this thing. It's got great images, great insight into technical, biomechanical knowledge, uh, a look at boot setup, the world's best skiers sort of broken down in montages. It's a fantastic resource and I know I've gained a lot of knowledge from reading Ron's books. So do that. So in this episode... I got to chat with Ron and it was quite a, uh, an informal chat. We'd never met each other and I asked him such questions as what exactly is turning in skiing? Also, um, the question of what does he think come, come first, edging or turning when we make a ski turn? How we set up our ski boots? Uh, the forces we have to deal with in skiing as well as what he thinks of some of the best World Cup athletes and what they're doing with their movements that separates them from the rest. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I had a great time getting to know Ron and sharing some of my thoughts with him and hearing his ideas. I hope to get out there and meet him one day and go for a real ski with him. And uh, Oh, and finally, the last thing I'd like to say is I want to apologize for any of the podcasts previously where the quality of audio has been poor. So a note, I do this podcast for free and in my own time as a bit of a passion and I like to get information and knowledge out there to skiers all around the world. So I don't have a heap, a big budget to spend on doing this, nor now with an eight week old son do I have the time to spend to really make it the the high quality product I'd like so I just want to say I apologize for that in advance and I hope you guys get the content out of the podcast that um, you can uh, given the the poor quality sometimes and uh, yeah if and finally if you have any feedback for me please feel free to send me an email at tgelly at gmail.com I'd love to hear some feedback and please feel free to share the podcast and enjoy this next episode. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, Ron, it's really nice to meet you <laughs> over a Skype call. Thanks very much for uh, accepting the invitation. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Yeah. I, I make these chats pretty, um, pretty low-key, pretty relaxed, so... Uh, I've just got a list of questions here um, that I'm sort of that I've got written down, but I'm hoping to, you know, the the conversation gets a little bit free flowing. Um, I've I read both your books. I've got both your books. Really like them. Um, so my first question is, how did you get into, you know, skiing? How did you get into analyzing biomechanics of skiing and where you are today? Where did where did the whole sort of journey start for you? Well, I grew up skiing. I, I grew up uh, in Colorado. I skied since I was a little kid. Uh, uh, well, when I was a teenager, I, I read everything I could find about skiing. I uh, just wanted to learn more about how it worked and how you're supposed to do it. Uh, then I uh, went to college to 
studied engineering and that sort of set the die, I guess. Uh, it's just, I have that technical bent and like to analyze things and understand how they work. Then uh, I you know, got, got involved uh, instruction and then coaching full-time for a number of years and uh, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, just always looked at skiing from that technical side of things. So. Yep. Figured if I could if I could understand it, then maybe I could do a better job of doing it myself, coaching it to other people. Yep. So would you? I mean, I know this is a tricky question to answer, but would you consider yourself? Were you a naturally talented skier? Boy, uh, I, that's really hard to answer. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I grew up skiing better than some people and skiing worse than others, you know, it depends yeah. on who you compare yourself to. I, I honestly think that that my ability to ski is is maybe a combination of having some sort of physical predisposition, uh, being lucky to have feet that, that work well in ski boots. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, if you're someone who has hammer toes or yeah. incredibly high instep or something, you're doomed, it would seem. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that really having analyzed skiing a lot and understanding it and having an opportunity to watch just great skiers a lot has had a lot to do with me being able to ski you know, reasonably well. Uh, I, I think I'm still a reasonably good skier. Uh, um, Talented, that's hard to say. I, I don't consider myself a talented athlete in general. Sure, sure. I guess I, from my perspective, um, I know that getting into the details and understanding skiing more, all the technical aspects, has helped me to progress. So I was just wondering if there was like a drive early on that, that you know, you sort of figured that out and you realized oh, this is really going to help me, you know, I'm passionate about skiing. I'm not like, you know, because there's always that guy on the mountain that, you know, he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he he has the touch and or she has the touch. And they, oh, yeah. they you know, they're just right. born with it. So um, if you're not, then that kind of drives you into seeking more information about how these people that do do that, do it. Oh, I, 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 I really do think that, Having a uh, an understanding of skiing has helped me ski better, yeah, and helped me continue to ski and, uh, and 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 actually continue to ski better as the equipment gets better. Uh, certainly, my my uh, physiological uh, <laughs> abilities aren't getting any better. Uh, if anything, <laughs> I mean, they've declined as I've gotten older. But yeah, I, th I I think it has something to do with it. Yeah. So what was what would you say is the highlight of your coaching career where was where did the where's the pinnacle or is it are you at the pinnacle right now because i know i read <laughs> you're you're involved with the, uh helping uh the u.s ski team so are you uh, still involved yeah in that? uh not so much the last few uh last few years um uh i spent yeah i i mean i i I have less involvement with them than I than I used to, and I, I haven't traveled with the U.S. team in Europe for for several years. Uh, traveled with some other some other national teams uh, mm -hmm. in Europe, but not not the U.S. team. Uh, 
don't know. I, I well, probably when I, when I was in my twenties was, uh, I don't know if I'd say it was a pinnacle. I, I guess, hmm. you know, before you have all these other things going on in your life that, 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 you know, this uh, is time, you know, and I could, uh, and I guess as I was discovering coaching and uh, working with skiers, you know, that was pretty, pretty high. So what, what capacity were you... I still really enjoy it. I, I just went... Sorry, what, what capacity were you involved with, um, you know, the US ski team or these uh, ski teams in Europe? What, what do they utilize you for? Technical... Uh, um, Technical advisor, I guess that's, I mean, that's what I was. That's what the people on the, on the U.S. team called me. I would, uh, you know, I'd uh, basically talk talk to the coaches more than the athletes. Although in the case of you know one of the Europeans I, I worked with, you know, I would I'd work directly with the athlete. But a lot of it was talking with the coaches uh, about who was doing what, who's doing better than others, and why, and uh, you know how could how might we be able to communicate what's going on to, to a particular skier? Uh, my, I, th- I think my contribution is, is analysis. Mm-hmm. It's objective, objective description of what's going on, what could go on, how you, the objective description of what a person could do to perhaps ski better. And then it's, it's a special province of a great coach to be able to communicate that to an athlete. Yeah. My experience is that there are some people, a minority of people who respond to the objective description of things. And what people more often respond well to is the right subjective description of what that person might feel when they do the right thing. Yeah. So could you, can you think then of one example, say, working with one of these World Cup athletes when that was the case. So perhaps you picked up a, um, something that could be you know, worked on in their technique and you explained to the coach and then the coach, you know, it came across as something really simple as, you know, feel your pinky toe at this part or, or feel, you know, more pressure through your heel or, or whatever it was. Can you think of a particular example where that, rang true where it wasn't the objective um, description oh, but it was yeah. sort of translated I know this is putting you on the spot <laughs> yeah uh, let's see well oh, an example would be talking about how someone's saying that someone's center of mass is, is isn't moving across their feet going into the turn Yep. you know the, uh, the, per- the person's not the person, well, let me back up a, a bit here. One of the things that happens in the transition from one turn to the next is that somehow you get your center mass to go on a straight, a more or less straight line across your feet while your feet continue to turn underneath you. Yeah. That's how. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll say, you know, you've got to, you know, Relax these muscles, you know, detach your feet from your from your upper body or something like that, which is sort of, you know, 
uh, objective description, but then, you know, a coach would say, I want you to move your hips across your feet. Yep. You know, move your hips across your feet. Now, in, in objective fact, the skier can't physically move their, their themselves across their feet. All they can do is do things such that the, their body's momentum carries them across their feet. Yep. Uh, uh, I, I, you said that as if you understand what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the listeners you know, do too. If you don't have something, if you don't have something to push against. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have something to push against, you know, there's no way you can project yourself and yes. cross your feet. Uh, so that's that's really interesting. So that's exactly, I guess, what I'm getting to. Whereas, so a coach could understand that they need to get their hips across their feet, and you can see that they are not doing that but from your perspective understanding biomechanics and that you know you need something to push or pull against in order for the center of mass to change its position then you know you have a better understanding of right okay well it's not possible to to actually tell the person to do that cue you need to think of other ways to make that movement happen right right you know in some terms that might mean you say to the skier, you know, I want you to go soft at the end of the turn. Yeah. You know, relaxing the muscles in your mid body, which will, you know, let your upper body go in more or less straight line. Or, uh, you know, I want you, and I want you to dive into the turn or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, co- go- good coaches, you know, have good lines like that. Yeah. Yep. So, so you would be involved with taking video analysis or being on the hill with the athletes in a training session and and finding areas where they could improve upon and and then sitting down and working out these these solutions right or or coaches or a coach would say you know what we'd really like to do is uh, at this race we want to look at transitions we want to look at transitions on steep hills yep. um, yeah I excuse me don't put it there. I don't want it to rain. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I might look so, at transitions. Right. We'd look at transitions and and uh, then go back and look at the video and talk about it and see what we see and see who's faster and who's slower. And, and you know, perhaps I can, I can you know, analyze what's going on and yep. you know, we can talk about it from that point of view. So straight on from that, who would you, who do you think at the moment on the World Cup has a really good transition on the steeps? Oh well, I I don't think there's anything better than anyone better than Marcel Hirscher on the men's side. Uh, yeah. I think I think there are other people who are you know in his league. Uh, the 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 thing about Hirscher, I think you have to keep in mind, uh, is his body type you know he's short he's he's got short legs uh, and and because of that he skis differently than a lankier skier like uh well Christopherson or like Stefan Lewitz uh mm-hmm. who's who's very tall and lanky you know they they move differently uh but uh, I would say as far as transitions go uh Hirscher's got about as good a control over what's going on as anybody, uh, especially in GS, uh, you know, where other people will, will, 
you know, they'll feather their ski into the turn until they see the spot when they know uh, they really want to. They want to really knife it. Hirscher mm-hmm. uh, Hirscher seems to be very very positive about just where he wants to make the turn well before uh, the middle of the transition. You know, before he starts the transition, and he can let himself come off the ground yeah. and still land at just the right spot on an edge and make it work. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he never ceases to make the, the, the turn in the wrong spot. Yeah. So that's really interesting you point out the, the body shape types um, because I guess that, that comes back to this engineering sort of background. You know, it's about levers and, and fulcrums and pivot points and that sort of stuff. So why is it that his frame, his skeletal frame, sort of gives him a bit of an advantage well, I don't know if I'd say it gives him an advantage. What I would say, though, is that some of uh, s- some of the elements of his skiing, some of his style, work for a person who's built like that. Um, he 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 doesn't bend forward as much at the waist as some other skiers. Well, like I think of Daniel Yule, who's a taller, lankier guy. Uh, Luca Ernie. Uh, these these guys. Uh, don't have short legs, and they they have to bend forward more at the at the waist to keep uh, their center mass from getting too far back when they flex yeah. deeply. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. Yeah, he's th- able to flex I, really yeah. deeply and still stay relatively over his center of mass. Hey, sorry, his base of support, his feet. Yeah, I I would suspect that he's probably got a fair amount of forward lean in his boots too. I don't know. For yeah. the fact that I would would be surprised if he does. Yeah. You know, but you look at a guy like Svindal or or Luis, you know, and these guys they they look like they're crouching when you know forward from the waist when they flex deeply because they're yeah. tall. And, you know, the, uh, it, it ha- I, it, as much as anything, I think it has to do with the length and how long that is in relation to your torso. Yeah, because as you bend your legs, your legs going to go back. Yeah, you have to say by four from the waist. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, people, so, people. You know, that's I guess back to your point. You had a couple of things on on your side feet that fit ski boots, so the equipment didn't sort of hinder yeah. you as much, and um, perhaps your you know. You weren't too proportion, disproportionate through your limbs, so you didn't have trouble always, you know, finding the center. Yeah. And yeah, all those things really kind of matter, don't they? And sometimes, as I guess coaches or instructors, you could perhaps forget that and just be like, why, why, you're always back at the transition. You're always back at the transition. You know, get forward, get yeah. forward, instead of understanding yeah. maybe why that person is struggling and, and needing to take a, a different right. kind of um, approach, yeah, like like maybe modifying their boots. Right. So, yeah, yeah, so. I, I actually have a long femur, and uh, and but I was fortunate in the, in the early seventies to uh, uh, spend time with Georges Joubert in France, and uh, and he understood that uh, the forward lean in your boots has to be 
has to be set up to work with uh, your, well, your body. So that mm. the recent boots have forward lean is so that you can flex up and down a long way and, and keep your center mass, uh, you know, over your feet. And and he understood that. And, and there's a very simple test for determining how much forward lean you need in a boot. But and, and so I benefited from that. The thing is that there are a lot of there are a lot of coaches out there who don't understand that. And for instance, there are a lot of coaches who don't really under probably don't understand lateral canting all that well either. And so, uh, young athletes who might be talented enough to do well, but they need some sort of adjustment to their uh, boots to get around something like naturally being a little knock kneed or bow legged or whatever, uh, never get past a certain point because the equipment uh, hasn't been set up for them properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Ron, are there some things then you do with every single pair of boots you buy, say if you had to get a new pair of boots that you modify or change to give yourself the best sort of position on your skis? Oh, sure. Uh, um, I, I measure. I, I'll measure myself for cans. Uh, you know, just using a plumb bob really to get started, and uh, and then and then skiing them until uh, and adjust the canning until I can feel like it's right. Yeah. Me. Uh, the other thing that that uh, I always set up is the forward lean, so that uh, so that I, so that I have a large a long range of vertical motion. Mm. Uh, and can still use the front of my ski in a low position if I need to, or yep. that sort of thing. So why? And the other thing I sorry, you keep you, you go ahead. Yep, the other thing you were saying. Oh, the other thing I do is I, uh, you know, I lift or lower my heel in the in the boot uh, so that I feel like the boot works right with me. You know, if I, People talk about ramp, ramp angle a lot, and I think it's important, but I'm not sure I've ever heard a good explanation of why hmm. uh, or uh, from anybody. I know what works for me is if my heel's too low in the boot, then I feel that when I when I bend my ankle, flex my ankle, and I push against the front of the boot, that I'm hitting the top of the boot. Yeah. And if my heel and if my heel's too high. I feel like when I move into the front of the boot, I don't feel the top of the boot and, and the place where all the pressure is, is down under that third buckle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The lower buckle on the cuff. Yep. I, I have this, this is just, this is just a, a very vague theory on my part. It says I've been uh, validated by anybody who really knows boot design, <laughs> but I, I have the, I, I have the feeling that, when you when you flex a boot, not that they flex very much, but when you flex a boot, it it kind of flexes around sort of an axis somewhere, and you want that you want the axis that your ankle flexes around to be pretty well lined up with the boot. that axis, right? Yeah, and that by by moving the my heel up and down to the boot, I find the spot where okay. Now I've got very even pressure against the whole front of the boot, top to bottom, when I push into it. That's 
that, that's how I set up my heels. Mm. So. It's interesting, this, uh, this last Southern Hemisphere winter when I was in New Zealand, I uh, got to use, you might have seen this uh, new technology coming out called Carve, where they've got foot sensors that attach to your iPhone. Have you seen that? Oh, I, I've heard of this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I got to test trial um, some of uh, that, that developing technology. It's really cool. And um, anyway, so I did a couple of runs. Rec- it recorded it. it. It sort of gives you visual feedback after you finish the run of, you know, by red dots meaning lots of pressure, green dots, little pressure. And there's like 24, I think they're upgrading to 100 and something sensors, but 24 sensors under the sole of your foot representing where your pressure is. And I got yeah. down and I thought, you know, this sounds pretty good. You know, that's how I usually ski. And there were, there, most of the dots were more sort of centered or on the heel. And I never actually yeah. really made the dots light up red under the ball of my foot. And I was like, but I, I can well, feel the ball of my foot pressured, pre- you know, yeah. so what's going on? Anyway, so next day, I muck, I'd, I'd been meaning to do this for a while, but I mucked around with actually gas pedaling my boots. So I gas pedaled my boots. Yeah, lifting the toe yeah. uh, up, uh-huh. which seems counterintuitive. Yeah. So I kind of dropped the heel relative to the front of the foot, recorded with this carve technology again, and lo and behold, suddenly I've got these red dots up at the ball of my foot. And, and kinesthetically, I could feel a lot more tip pressure early in the turn. And um, yeah, and true ball, the foot kind of pressure, which is really interesting to me. Um, but I guess I put it down to, you know, if, you were, if you're doing squats um, on, on a downward sloping hill, you sort of have to lean into your heels a lot more to to sort of stay centered, so you don't pitch over and lose your heel contact. So yeah. I was wondering if just proportionately uh-huh. my body yeah. shape sets me up already forward, so I actually need to do the opposite to force my body to push into the balls of my feet. Well, uh the the kind of sensor that you're talking about is one that's under, as you said under the sole of your foot, right? Um, There's a kind of sensor like that that's been used a lot in ski research, uh, especially in Europe, uh, called uh, PEDAR, P-E-D-A-R. And uh, it's it's, uh, a lot of researchers feel like it's okay, it's, it's reasonably good for for detecting total amount of pressure, total amount of force, but excuse me, a second. that's okay. Um, uh, uh, but there's a problem with with them uh, being used for fore aft determining fore aft pressure, ah. and and this is and this is the problem. If you lean into the front of your boot, okay, the fr- the front of your your boot acts like a lever. Yep. And the resistance of the front of the boot puts pressure on the tip of the ski. That does not necessarily also mean that there's pressure under the ball of your foot. Yep. Okay. If you were skiing with your top buck- your top two buckles undone, then then a, then a sensor under your foot bit, under your foot is probably going to be a pretty good fore aft um, measure. Uh, 
Yeah, except then if you think about leaning against the back of your boot. Yep. <laughs> if you lean against the back of your boot, you're going to put a lot of pressure on the tail, but there might, that might not translate to pressure under the heel of your foot. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, so, really, the this is a little bit off the side, but the the kind of the kind of sensor that you really need to determine fore aft pressure is something that goes underneath the boot itself. Uh, you know, between the boot and the ski, and mm -hmm. people have done people have done uh, have used sensors like that, but the problem with them is they they get mounted under your binding, okay, between your binding and the ski. Yep. So they, they lift the binding off the ski. They also stiffen the middle of the ski, and it changes the way people ski. Hmm. Plus, it's very difficult to take them off, put them on, put them on different people's skis. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a technical problem with this kind of force-sensing uh, approach to ski research in general but I guess my, my what I would say to you is just because this the carve system didn't show the pressure being under the ball of your foot doesn't mean that you weren't applying pressure to the tip of the ski yeah got it got it that's really interesting to hear that that's and that I guess confirms the confusion in what I was feeling versus what the data was telling me if you're serious about stepping up your skiing skills listen up i've been working closely with the carve team for over four years and they've just unveiled a groundbreaking feature active coaching mode and here's the lowdown launch it at the top of your run and go through a quick calibration with 10 turns and it sets a baseline just below your current skill level from there every turn is a challenge adapting on the fly to your skill terrain and conditions no fluff, just a gamified experience pushing you to ski better every turn. It does this by using a super thin insole lined with small pressure sensors and motion detectors. It's like having a personal coach analyzing your every move. And here's the sweet part. If you hit a hot streak with excellent form and you're in for double or triple points, it's addictive, rewarding. Like I said, it's a very gamified experience and it transforms every run into a step towards better skiing. If you're intrigued, and you should be, check out Carve and dive into active coaching mode. Just Google Get Carve to find out more, and as a bonus, enter code GELLY15 to take 15% off. It's amazing. I've heard from the Carve team that now nearly over a third of the users are using active coaching mode when they go out and ski with it. So why not give it a try yourself? Right. So. Uh yeah, you know, putting a gas pedal under your under the toe of your boots okay as long as it doesn't reduce the forward lean in your boots so much that you can no longer be in balance in a low position. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think these because they're Fisher boots, and and actually they had quite a good amount of forward lean. Uh -huh. um, so it didn't. If I still could do a full squat in my boots and and not oh. fall over. Um, oh well, then you're fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was really interesting to feel definitely a lot more engagement and sensitivity to, to tip pressure. It felt like uh -huh. I could really apply resistance to it. So when it dug in and the tip wanted to bend back to me, I was able to kind of 
drive against it with my forefoot and and keep resisting it so it built pressure for longer before i released it so uh-huh. yeah so it was re- it was just nice because i'd never felt that because obviously no boots in the history of my ownership had ever been gas pedaled so i'd never really felt that sensation before um but uh-huh. i'd know i was after that sensation yeah i i've, t- I've talked to a number of people who have gotten a positive effect out of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yep. So, Ron, what what made you write your two books? Was there a lack of sort of good uh, material out there? Was it just a project you wanted to do and share information? Like, what was it? A series of you'd written some articles and um, you thought, oh, I could actually probably turn this into a book. What was it? Uh. You know, uh, kind of a combination of those things. Uh, I, I mentioned when I was when I was a teenager, I would read everything I could find, and I never found anything that was all that satisfying uh, until uh, in the early '70s when I was introduced to to George Hubert's stuff, and that really that really had a strong influence on me, and you know, that's one reason I went over spent time with him and mm-hmm. uh, he had a very you know clear objective analytic way of looking at things uh, but nothing had nobody uh, that I'd read in the United States anyway had had done that and uh, I just felt like I, I had something to say that I, th- I thought might make sense to other people might be useful uh, and yeah. I'd always I'd always been strongly motivated by uh, photos and felt like that's the most important part of a book on skiing is to show show compelling visual examples and then try and describe them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd uh, been doing some magazine writing for a few years and some stuff that uh, – the Professional Ski Instructors of America's magazine journal back in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, uh, someone from PSIA, Professional Ski Instructors of America, approached me uh, to work on a book with him. A guy named Yuris Wagners, who's really a, uh, he's, he's been a key figure in, in, uh, in understanding skiing from a technical point of view here in the U.S. for a long time. Uh, and he and I worked on something together for PSIA, and uh, then he suggested that I that I submit a book proposal to Human Kinetics, uh, my publisher, and uh, it sounded like a good idea to me. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, yeah. And that's, then that's, that's, that's right how start. that all happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, some so, like I really gained a lot of knowledge and insight into some of the details of tales of skiing when i first read your book um it's really really easy to read for for those people that haven't gone out and bought it and and had a look at it it's a great book um but so starting out uh what how would you describe what turning is uh that's what we're doing in skiing, yeah. right? We're sort of turning, yeah, right. turning, 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 turning. No, the only people that really straight line 
you know, as freestylers yeah. into jumps and people doing just, you know, speed, speed, uh, you know, velocity yeah. challenge. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's skiing is for the most part turning. You're right. Uh, what turning is, is getting the snow to push on you in such a way that you change direction. Uh, that, that's kind of dry, but that's kind of a dry description. But I, I think that a, a, a key thing for people to understand is that you don't make yourself turn. It's the snow that makes you turn. Mm-hmm. And you, you put your ski against the snow in such a way that the snow pushes you where you want to go. Yep. And and you can you can do it in a way that the the snow is harsh and and plays with you roughly, and you can do it in <laughs> such a way that the snow pushes you in a in, in a manner that just feels really good and it's a lot yep. of fun. Yep. Yeah. And it's. it's- uh, one one thing I'd mention about that too is, uh, this is uh, th- there's a, a person in the U.S. Uh, a woman named Murmur Blakesley who was a uh, uh, significant ski instructor for a long time in the states, and she has said to me a number of times that she thinks that a problem we have as as coaches and instructors and skiers in general is we're very body centric. Everybody wants to know what they what they're supposed to do with their body. And she really believes, and, and I agree with her, that you should be thinking in terms of what is it that I want my ski to do? Mm-hmm. What is it? That's really the well. That's the, the first st- thing. Starting, you yeah, exactly. That's the starting point, isn't it? Because otherwise, you're just kind of looking like you're dancing around for show without any yeah. outcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wanted to uh, to call my second book skiing from the snow up not ultimate skiing that was my publisher's idea we just had a hard time uh, agreeing on a, <laughs> a title but yeah. I, I think that skiing from the snow up would have uh, better better expressed my point of view and sort of yeah. overarching theme yeah because you know, that's where it all starts yeah yeah i'm reading doing some my own research and study at the moment reading a couple of uh, biomechanics of sport and exercise books and mm-hmm. and one sentence that really sort of resonated with me uh, reading in there was, you know, muscles can change the motion of a body's limbs, but these will not produce any change in motion of the body's center of mass. The body is only able to change its motion if it can push or pull against some external object, which is the ski against the snow, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just yeah. it's really cool because I, I I mean you probably uh, a, a bit about what I've gotten into I've sort of delved down this route of understanding the body and um, dealing with pain. You know, most most of my days clients are coming in because they have sore knees or backs or feet or something, and they're trying to figure out why. And so I've very much gotten into understanding how the body works um, and. Uh, yeah, it's just good now I'm going more into, okay, I understand all these movements, but now what, how can I best manipulate or understand how these movements can create these outcomes or these forces on snow and, and why are some people really good at manipulating it? What, you know, what is it? Because, you so getting the, 
you know your point about you know skiing from the snow up that's that's definitely the first bit but then what separates the 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 best is how they use their body to manipulate the forces right no i i I agree there there are things that people do uh that that well let me well let me rephrase this most skiers have certain movements that they make that produce some positive effect, something that needs to happen, but also have have liabilities. You know, think of think of throwing your hip out to make your skis start turning. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it, it, there are reasons why that will help your skis start turning, but it has some liabilities to it. Get your put your skis flat on the snow, tends to give you some angular momentum that you don't want. That, mm-hmm. You know plays havoc with you know the latter part of your turn yeah i think you understand what i'm saying yep definitely Uh, what what uh what i tried to do when i look at a skier is i say what what is it this person's doing that's that's getting in their way Mm. why are they doing it they're probably they're probably doing it because Aside from the things that are getting in their way, they're getting some kind of positive effect out of that. Yeah. What would be a better thing that they could do to produce the same positive effect without the liabilities? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's 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 really great way of thinking about it because you know we don't the body doesn't the body is super smart. You know, if if your brain is saying right, I need to turn that, I need to get to the left. You know. It's got yeah. quite a few different ways that it can kind of make that happen. It just, I guess, sort of depends on your development, you know, how you started skiing, whether you just did it with a friend and got no tuition and you kind of figured out that if you did throw your hip out a bit, you did get over to the left. Um, yeah. And so you skidded around a bit, but you didn't know that that wasn't what everyone else was doing because you had no other reference. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's cool to think that. Uh, of course, if you're a beginner, all the people around you are probably doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, it's working, and it's and it's sort of working for them too. You know? yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I uh, sorry, you go ahead. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, uh, over the years, uh, I started skiing in the fifties, nineteen fifties, and. You had to do a lot more to get your skis to do something mm-hmm. back then. You had to, there was more effort involved in manipulating your skis. You had to manipulate your skis more. And as skis have gotten better and better and better, especially since the late 90s, uh, skiing has become more a matter of putting your ski in, in an attitude relative to your motion and the snow where it's going to do the right thing and then you set up your body so that you can balance against the ski in a supple way mm. and be able to, to move and adapt to changes in terrain and that sort of thing so it's less that we're making the skis do something as much as we're putting in a, putting them in a position where they do something and then we ride on them yes so I was the last conversation I had um, with a friend Paul Lorenz, we were sort of talking about 
uh, closed chain mechanics versus open chain um, biomechanics. And I was sort of saying to him that m most of, I, my thought is most of good skiing comes from uh, closed chain mechanics because they're more efficient because you're not trying, you're just, they're more sort of balancing the mass closed chain being more eccentrically kind of, in my opinion anyway, in skiing dominated because you're letting joints oh, yeah. move into sort of position and the muscles are lengthening to control that position right. as it moves yep. away from neutral. Yeah. And so the yep. more people use open chain where the, the skis are not connected with anything, then I guess it comes back to that, that thing. You, you're not actually creating any forces against the snow. The, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, which, which, yeah. And I guess the start of the turn, that top half is where it's the most difficult to create closed chain movements. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I thought about that. Yeah. And I was saying to him too, I don't know your thoughts on this, but, you know, generally fore and aft movements on the ski would be a sort of going to end up being a little bit more influenced through your open chain movements because the snow doesn't give you that much grip or friction to be able four to and half, yeah, yeah. for enough to push or yeah. pull against. Whereas laterally yeah. the edge, as soon as you start doing it, you've got, hopefully your skis are sharp. You've got grip to sense yeah. Yeah. that, that closed chain thing happening. And then, you know, and I guess that's why, you know, what comes first, edging or, 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 or turning. And, you know, I think it has to be edging so you can then oh, also, yeah, sure. you know, create rotational closed chain kind of movements to, to balance and be efficient Seems against. But, um, yeah, it was just interesting the other day. I was thinking about it. I was like, gee, you know, that's why I think so many people struggle with four and a half stuff is because they're, uh, you know, they're probably – because walking – you know, to get forward and back walking, we've got this grippy ground that's very easy. We're, right. we're used to our body pushing and pulling against the ground, whereas skiing, you have to be used to actually having your feet kind of free underneath you, and that's how you manipulate your fore and aft balance more more easily. So, right, yeah, because you know, if you if you can, if you think of it as a free body, the mass of your feet and your skis is is small compared to your torso. So you can move your feet, you can move your feet, you know, relatively easily forward and aft underneath you. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, and if you try uh, and move, uh, move your upper body, like towards, say, your feet are in front of you, to, for, in order for the upper body to get over the feet, then the feet have to be able to stay still. And if you're thinking that's, your body's predicting that's what's going to happen, right? I'm going to move my rib cage yeah. towards my feet. But, but unfortunately, what happens is the feet slide as that happens, so then you don't get this. Your outcome is different to what you think or predict would usually happen on ground, which has a lot more friction. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just right. interesting. That, that's, and that's, sure, that's why people yeah. fall over when they get off the chairlift the first time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they, they expect there's, they there's going to be a reaction from the, from the ground for some back up on them, yeah. back up the hill there. But there's no friction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I also listened to a few um, clever people that talk about uh, neuroscience 
and this one guy is saying that the, the main sort of function of our nervous system is prediction. You know, we're always just trying to predict what is going to happen because that makes us feel, you know, safe and, and know what's going to happen because obviously unpredictability yeah. is, is not great. So we're always trying to be able to predict things. So like back to your Marcel Hersher thing, he just seems to have pure confidence in predicting, you know, 10 meters ahead, That's this, this is where my body's going to be, this is how it's going to feel, this is what's going to happen on the snow and he's totally confident in, in himself that that's, that's the case. Yeah, yeah. So his nervous system is probably functioning at a really high level, very calm but very high level because it's not getting this kind of, you know, freaked out fight or flight too much like you know we're not sure if the ski is going to hold there or where our center of mass is going to be there uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. how much inclination can I, yeah how much inclination will be able to support you know and mm. when I engage yeah the, and there have been a few races where he has uh nobody else everybody else made a lot of mistakes uh you know people didn't look you know the course was set such a way that there wasn't a lot of rhythm and there were big changes and he looked very comfortable. I got, uh, last year in Garmisch, there was a giant slalom that nobody looked good except for him. And he mm -hmm. looked ex like every turn, he knew just where he wanted to be. Uh, at Alta Badia last week, uh, his second run was just incredible. Yeah, uh, nobody, Nobody else looked like they knew where they wanted to be all the time like he did yeah 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 so i mean i, I think at some level you've got to look beyond like you know the the equipment set up the skis the the technique and and look at it from sort of that nervous system level of how confident and trusting are you that everything's going to happen and that your, your, your thoughts don't take over and go, I don't know if I can do this. This is icy. It's steep here. Oh, you know, so-and-so yeah. crashed yeah. three runs ago. And, you know, he, he must have that side, I think, as well as his amazing technique and everything. But you see a lot of really good races in training, but then they can't put it into the race day. That's where he sort of separates yeah. himself. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Some of that is probably confidence. Uh, yep. You know, and uh, not, you know, not having any kind of, I would say, conscious doubts, but hmm. you know, your uncertainties, level of error, you know, uh, yeah. margins of error that you think you're going to. I uh, something I've talked about uh, a fair amount in the past around here in the states is uh, what happens in the transition. You know, when you when you start to reduce your inclination at the end of a turn, you're basically falling across your feet, mm. right? You know, when you when you finish a turn and link it with another turn, there is a period of time in which during which you're toppling from one side of your feet to the other, and once you you don't have a whole lot of control over how fast that that goes once you've started it, especially once you've literally crossed over your feet. Um, and, and I talk about the estimation problem. You know, when you're finishing a turn, when you're finishing a turn, you have to estimate 
how much grip you're going to get from the snow, how fast you're going to be going, uh, where you want, what you want the shape of that turn to be, and how much inclination you're going to need, uh, how much you're going to need to redirect the ski, so that when you do land on your skis after the transition, you're in balance and the ski does what you want it to do. It's, it's a very complicated problem to solve, and a lot of what becoming a, you know, I'd say, an advanced expert skier is about is learning to solve that problem and when you, you know, so that you can accurately release yourself out of one turn so that you make the land and make the next turn just the way you want it to. And yep. You can't teach people. No. You don't teach these people. Yeah, that's right. And there's that prediction thing again. You have to have done it so many different ways and in different conditions to kind of be able to your brain in thousands of seconds to compute and predict, okay, this is how much I need to release. This is probably where I'm going to be inclined at the the top of the, the turn. Right, um, and people who don't have that ability or are unsure of it, when you put them on, for instance, a steep slope, that's when they start to stem. Yeah. Their uphill foot. Yep. Because yep. they're not going to let themselves fall into the turn <laughs> and then catch themselves with their skis. They yeah. want to be stable on that downhill ski and start while they're starting to turn with their other foot. So, what do you think is the mechanism so, that first starts that release, that toppling from the old turn into the oh, new turn, that transition? There, there are several. Uh, one of them is an edge set. You know, if you if you if you put if you like pivot your skis quickly and just stick them in the snow, your feet slow down, mm-hmm. right? And your upper body gets carried across uh, by its momentum. That's we don't do that as much anymore. Although on steep steep terrain, people still do that. Uh, another thing you can do is you can make the ski tighten up at the end of the turn. You come around a turn, and then at the very bottom. You add some knee angulation, and it will make the radius of, of turn that the ski's making decrease. And if you were in balance before you made the radius decrease, you will now be out of balance, and you'll flip and fall over to the other side. Yeah. Did that make sense? Yeah, like a high side. You kind of high side yourself. Exactly. That, that's how you, that's how you uh, uh, finish a turn on a bicycle. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. the bike back underneath you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and another way to do it uh, is to uh, let's say you're in balance, you know, carving through a turn. If you just relax your quads and your buttocks muscles and your lower back, uh, that effectively disengages your your upper body from your feet. Yep. So the skis are no longer pushing your upper body in an arc. Your upper body is going to go in a straight line. And, and you, you see this a lot uh, in racing. Uh, it's what people here in the States would call a retraction turn, maybe. Yep. Uh, uh, when you see this a lot, especially in slalom. You see it a lot in GS2. It's not, it's not the only way to, to start a transition, but it's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and there are a couple of others too. Yep. So I've really spent a lot of time getting to uh, understand the joints in the body and particularly the feet. Um, 
and sort of something I've been playing around with and uh, over the last few years is that moment, that transitional moment being very much a, uh, the outside foot being supinated going into supination um, uh-huh. because that, that sort of unbalances that that pressure to the to the medial side of the foot and starts biasing it to the outside plus the supination kind of keeps the the foot turning in the direction of that old turn and so you're not sort of disrupting that the finish of the arc and um and then Uh just the way we're sort of set up in in the body to work uh you know, for walking, that supination movement helps us propel. So you also keep energy and, you know, because it, it stiffens the foot. So then you don't lose energy through the muscles. It goes more through the joints. And so you actually get a kick into the new turn from yeah. that, that motion. Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever played around with that at all. But, um, yeah, it's really uh, – I'll, I'll send you a video of some some stuff I've made and you can – Check it out and sure. make make your own opinion yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. But I've you know my ski boots over the years have gotten freer and freer in terms of how my foot can function. It's still they're still very good contact and and uh, feel as in I can feel all around my leg is supported and and you know every direction is got it's not further to go in one direction than another what I'm trying to do uh-huh. but then I'm trying to allow my feet the ability to make all these subtle fine changes so that that moment you're talking about in the transition I can sort of start uh-huh. with the least amount of effort from my foot and then uh-huh. and then let the body kind of move over um, from that uh-huh. instigated movement so 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 if you if you supinate your outside foot does that also release the edge? When I think of supination, I think of, uh, you know, I think in, of turning my hand over so that I can hold yeah, soup, right? Exactly. That's, exactly. That, that's that's the mnemonic, right? Exactly. So, uh, so is is are you doing that with your foot? You're kind of rolling it so that yeah. <laughs> in such a way that the, 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 the downhill edge would drop. Yes, and, and the thing I'm playing with is how much of that movement is an active movement of the foot and how much is a passive movement. So using the bigger joints like my hips, knees, yeah. upper body yeah. to, to work. And so it's, it's that, that what you're talking about, relaxing the quads and all those other things. So allowing those big joints to move, but at the same time feeling my foot is free to supinate with that movement. So it keeps pressure against the snow. It keeps that you know the forces continuing to act against the snow through the through the strong foot um, as it's uh-huh. as it's as, as the edge is coming off and then the inside foot at that exact same moment is going through a pronation moment right um, right yeah to get know, the ski on to edge. Get, yeah to get the ski on edge yeah. and the pronation moment is you know when the foot really opens up and and sort of is is set up to take mass on top of it it's kind of this suspension device so it's, you get this double effect of releasing and and then being ready to support and take the weight of the body on the on the new outside foot early well before you're sort of in that turn new turn and 
Yeah, and, and, and by the way, I, I, I agree with the statement he made a while ago that, you know, you have to edge the ski before it's going to turn you. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. You, you don't turn, you don't, you don't turn the ski and then edge it. You know, you, no. You got to, you got to get the ski on edge early. Yeah. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, I don't know if you uh, know who Andre Murr is. Yep. Uh, Swedish, uh, Swedish skier. Yeah. Yep. You see, uh, you see him move his, uh, his old outside new knee inside, new inside knee. You see him move that over in the transition a lot. Yeah. You see him, you see that his leg move that way, which would have a similar effect on the, on, on the ski, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, back to your, your, um, you know, when you analyze people, it's like, he's obviously found that movement helps give him some positive outcome. Um, uh-huh. it'd be interesting to see whether that's, you know, due to the fact of his physical makeup, his technique, or certain strengths, muscle strengths, so that he finds that he's really strong through that. Because other people don't do it yet, achieve a similar kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you just your mind ends up kind of exploding when you start <laughs> going into thinking about all these different things. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it's a, if it's a costlet, used to lead a bit with his inside ski too you'd see him turn his in, the tip of his inside ski towards the inside of the new turn mm. as he go to do kind of a diverging splay of his skis going into the turn a lot of times in slalom yeah uh, earlier on not as later in his career not as much but uh yeah uh and and i don't know how much of these things are uh things that people do consciously or, or things that in and of them, that movement in and, of, in and of itself has some great effect or if it's something that leads to another effect that uh, like you do something with your inside foot and it causes you to do something positive yeah. with your outside foot. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know. Yeah, and, it is hard to talking know. to the athletes themselves I've got to say, most athletes don't know. Yeah, uh, there are an awful lot of athletes who think about it that way. You know, they 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 ski by feel. Mm. You know, they always talk about how it feels, and uh, and that you know that that works for them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's you know it's the job of the coach to be able to, like you were saying before, read into the analysis to try and figure out you know, maybe that what they should be feeling to get the next breakthrough or improvement change. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, you can't be too, uh, conscious of thinking of these things when you go on a hundred kilometers an hour and on a bulletproof icy slope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Ron, what are you playing with in your own skiing at the moment? This, you know, have you had a couple of days, a few weeks already skiing? Oh yeah, yeah. I've been yeah. on this several times. Uh, so when you go out, what, are you, what have you been thinking of? Uh, what do I think of? You know, it depends on if I'm working on short turns or long or medium turns, long turns, that sort of thing. Uh, last, I think last year, I uh, uh, yeah, for the last year, or so I was I was uh, trying to trying to get 
my short turns tuned up a little bit, especially my right footer. I, I, I just finally figured out that I wasn't quite countered enough early enough in my right. Or well, I just wasn't countered enough in my turns to the left and had my feet a little too close together. So if I countered a little bit more, got my feet a little bit farther apart, then I was just... I could control my fore aft pressure better and I, I wouldn't be too far forward or too far back. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't lose my tail as much on hard snow. I wouldn't, uh, find myself coming out of the turn too far back. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to, to think cause you obviously realized the problem was a fore and aft problem, but the fix was in more of a, a, a sort of a lateral rotational plane. Yeah, you know, a lot of it was, I think, just kind of getting my legs out of each other's way a little bit more. I tend to skew my feet a little closer together. Hmm. Uh, don't know why, but I just tend to. That helped. Also, uh, just make it, getting myself to to it, turn the ski a little bit as I was as I was edging it early in the turn. I wasn't. I, I found that. I would try and edge it a lot, but it, but I needed to actually twist it a little bit too to make it work right. Mm -hmm. I don't, my right foot's been a problem for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I had a back surgery about 12 years ago, and and the right the right side of my body hasn't really responded. Uh, oh right, did it, it affect some of the yeah. the nerves running down the right side? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it really has. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the the other thing is, uh, I, I skied some GS the other day, and I had skied GS in a couple of years, and, and and figured out that I just wasn't. I could go a lot deeper with my hip angulation. Uh, there was I had a lot more room to to go. I could you know, just get my inside leg, my inside knee, further up into my chest. I could get more inclined into the turn, and it would and and make it hold if I got my hip more into the turn. Mm. Just more hip angulation. Uh, that would that would make the ski tighten up enough to support me. And, and I'm making tighter turns now. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Are you in a, a new boot at all this season? No, I uh, I ski in head boots. Um, I uh, I've been in the same pair of boots that I think for maybe three years. I, I just got a new pair of shells just because the old ones had faded so much and they looked awful. The <laughs> new one looks, you know, it's got the new colors, but it's the same shell. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I use foam liners. So basically I just kind of move the liners from one shell to the next. And, uh, yep. Yep. Uh, you know, right. they're, once they're set up right, you know, that I'm, I'm a big fan of foam liners for myself. I've got a very low volume foot and and even in a, you know, even in a like a 93 millimeter plug boot, you know, I I need to take up space. So having a yeah, full wow, really wow, really low volume foot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no wonder you took and, and to skiing. <laughs> What's that? I said no wonder you took to skiing. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, and um, yeah, nice thing about having a, having a a well shot foam liner is you don't have to tie you don't have to buckle your boots all that tight because yeah. they fit so closely that 
you know, you still have all the response you want because the foam is dense and you know, it doesn't have give to it. Uh, but the boot doesn't have to be so tight that you can't articulate your foot a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan. But yeah. it's not for everybody. Not for everybody, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was just, this is just off the top of my head, but I was just thinking that that foam kind of fit, you know, really giving you feel around the whole entire foot would help your body perceive more closed chain kind of movements, you know, whereas the plastic shell is not, you know, you don't get as much coverage surface area pressure sort of feedback through your body. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Just hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. No, for, um, yeah. Liners, you know, most liners, most stock liners are, are, uh, you know, from a technical point of view, they're low pass filters. They, they, they suppress high frequencies uh, a lot uh, because the, the foam is absorbent, you know, yes. vibration. And, you know, that, that's how the snow talks to you is, is, you know, with vibrations that come through your, your feet. Yeah. Uh, having a, having a, a good fitting boot and it doesn't necessarily have to be foam. It's just a boot that, that, that fits you in a pretty positive way. and doesn't have a lot of, you know, a thick liner, uh, a thick soft liner that's great liner. i like i like what you like the the filters doesn't have too many kind of filters that you have to run that pressure through before you get the sensations from the snow yeah what yeah. i what i tell a lot of people is that uh you know uh, a lot of if you buy a pair of boots that are really comfortable when you first get them and they've got a big soft liner uh it's like listening to music with pillows over your ears, yeah. literally. <laughs> you've, you've got this thing that filters out lots of the high frequency, and, and, and that's where a lot of the information is. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Very true. Very true. Do you know David McPhail? Uh, you know, I I've never met Dave Dave McPhail personally. Uh, we have corresponded some. Of, I've for probably 20 years, 25 years. Uh, and, and I've seen, uh, I, I've seen his blog a few times. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He is. Yeah. Yeah. I know a, a friend of mine works quite closely with him in Canada and hearing uh -huh. through this friend, just some of his ideas is really interesting because he is very much, uh, thinking about that level of things in, in someone's ski boot, you know, the uh, just right down to the types of materials the baseboard is made of, you know, mm -hmm. will change the the quality of feedback you get through it. So, yeah, oh, just, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just really interesting when you get, I mean, you can get a little bit too kind of anal about it, but, you know, you can really take it down to a very fine degree sure. if, you, if you want I, to. I know, uh, I, I've talked with World Cup athletes who, who, who say that, you know, they use the difference between their slalom boot and their, and their uh, GS boot is the material the cuffs made out of. Hmm. Because because this this material works, you know, works better for GS. It's it's uh, you know it's a little smoother. It's not as noisy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're obviously you know, sensing that. Oh yeah. 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 And, and, 
there's they're skiing on a very hard surface that creates a lot of vibration. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, these guys are in another world. Really. Yeah. Their senses, some, most of them, their sensitivity to what's going on. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Yep. Hey, if you had uh, one thing, one piece of advice to give to the ski instructors, coaches of the world, would there be one piece of advice <laughs> you'd you'd say? You know, like is there is there a question you get asked? You're like, God, you guys like think about this question before you ask it. You know, like or a common myth or something that is that you'd like to bust or. Oh boy. Uh... I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of myths, uh, but I boy, I'd say I'd say the most important thing that is that people don't learn from listening; they learn by doing. Most people, yeah. And rather than explaining to people what's going on and what they should do, if you can. If you can give them an exercise or a task or something that they will have to, uh, in order to accomplish, accomplish the task and to get better and better at it, they will have to, their body will have to ski better. That yep. Those are the most effective ways I've ever found of, of, of working with people. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, really good point. A really you know, good you, point. If you... If you tell them, tell somebody, I want you to just make hop turns as fast as you can between here and that spot down there. Just bang, 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 bang. And you do that over and over and over and get, get it to where it goes faster and faster and faster. They will learn to turn the, to turn the skis with their feet and their legs and keep their upper bodies quiet. Yeah. And their, and their, and their hands will stop moving. Uh, you know, you can tell people to do all that kind of stuff, but if you give them something where the task teaches them how to do it or have them ski in terrain, skiing in all kinds of terrain and all kinds of snow, not on perfectly groomed, set up snow all the time, uh, you know, get, yeah. the, get the mountain to teach the people how to ski, really. The more you can kind of construct an experience for the skier that will teach them how to ski, the more successful you'll be. And, and yep. I guess the one other thing I would say is uh, you want to give people something to go away with that they can use to tell how well they're doing. Yes. So in other words, if you get them to feel something, you can get them to feel the ski doing a particular thing and they, and they, you, you see them, you know, they're, they understand, they get that look of awareness and they get it. Oh, I felt that then they can go off and they can monitor their own skiing and they can seek that feeling. They can yep. Basically, that's how... The, they need some out. measure of success, right? They need to know that right. you feel this or this this outcome happens, you're successful, so measure it by that. Right. And it's not yeah. right, and, and the way to know that it's right is not because I told you it was. Because yeah. I, not because, oh, I said you did that. Yeah, it's because then you exactly. yourself do that. Yep. You felt yourself do that. Yeah. Yep. Because otherwise they're measuring it on what you say all the time. So yeah, they can only not... measure it, then you, then they have to keep you around. Well, that's right. You know, yeah. for maybe a ski instructor, that's profitable. <laughs> but, 
So, <laughs> but yeah. ultimately, it's not. It's not why we're here. No, uh, we're here exactly. so they can go out. You know, get better <laughs> on their own. Too. And then, Ron, have you got any plans to write or publish any more books? Um, I do, I don't have any plans to write any more paper books. Um, I've, do you want to write I one with may... me? Do I want to write one for you? No, with say? me. With me. <laughs> with you. You know, paper uh, publishing on paper, I think, is... Uh, I don't know if I'm if, if I'm willing to put in the time to do that again. Not uh, certainly not anything book length, you know, magazine yeah. stuff. I still write magazine stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I'm 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 trying to think about what I can do with uh, with uh, video technology and animation to convey things that are hard for people to understand. Uh, for for a number of years, I worked at the University of Colorado in a in a group that. Uh, research group that studied how to teach uh, physics, uh, there's a group in the physics department, how to teach physics to non-majors, non-science majors, you know, people who don't have technical backgrounds, don't understand math, are scared by, by, by uh, physics. And uh, there's, a, there's a lot of successful ways to approach that. Uh, and one of the things that we, that that works a lot for that is writing certain kinds of uh, computer simulations that people can manipulate, helps them understand things that are very hard to understand otherwise. And I would, you know, I've I've been thinking about maybe revisiting that kind of an approach to producing some sort of electronic media to. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. Who knows but if there, I will or not? I, uh-huh. <laughs> or if but it's successful. But there was some. Re- there was. It was. It was quite successful. The outcomes of of teaching. Oh yeah. In that. Yeah. 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 Just made oh, it yeah. more it's, accessible it, it, and easy to understand. Yeah. It's. It, yeah. It's really uh, a widely thought. Oh, is my battery. Died? My my phone died. Oh battery no worries. Died. No worries. Uh, no worries. That's all good. Um. I was just doing a bit of a because my my program keeps recording, so I just did a bit of a, a sort of a wrap up thing. Anyway, I was just going to say thanks very much for your your time and and your thoughts and and sharing just some information with the people out there. Yeah, if you want to see some of the uh, physics simulations uh, we did, yeah, uh, they're still there. Yeah, if you just Google P H E T FET. Okay. Physics education technology at the University of Colorado. Okay, you'll you'll, you'll find a whole bunch of physics simulations. Uh, oh yeah, some of which found it. Yep, FET simulations. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, so possibly down the line something like that. That would be um, that would be uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. It was great talking to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Really Are you nice in to Australia? Are you I in am. Australia now? I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I used to spend a lot of time. I spent uh, almost eleven years doing back-to-back winters between the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere, um, in places like Utah and uh, Canada. A lot of time in Canada, and now uh-huh. I sort of um, combine a little bit of that. So I, I did some coaching in New Zealand and, and Threadbow Australia this year, and then. 
did some ski holidays to Canada. Um, yeah, so I'm still trying to keep keep my um, sort of foot in in the game quite a bit, but also have a a job that supports a, a, a new family. I've just got a, a seven oh. week old son now, so ski instructor yeah. as an Australian is a bit harder than yeah. than it is uh, you know for Europeans. Say um, we, we, we used yeah. to have a lot of Australians around here until the uh, the visa situation changed. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a shame. Few of them now, but I, I still know some. You know, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Richard Jameson. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, know him. Yeah, Richard. Yeah, Heidi Yeah. Uh, do you know a guy named Tony? Uh, um, Ian Bruce. I I know of Ian. Yeah, he was sort of around in the APSI a bit before. Um, yeah. I got involved. Yeah, I worked with him at Beaver Creek uh, for a number of years. I I know him, see him pretty, mm-hmm. you know, several times a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the other person I think I've chatted to, uh, you've you've had some chats with is is Russ Wood from Whistler. Oh yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So, so I'm actually going over to Whistler uh, to do some talks with and and some on snow training with some of his trainers this this um january so yeah we're really looking forward to sort of sharing sharing some of my ideas with him he's really really cool guy fantastic skier oh yeah 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 um yeah he speaks very highly of you oh yeah say hi to him for me and if you see natalie too say hi to her yeah i will i will all right well i'd better let you go and thanks very much again ron and uh yeah look forward to maybe meeting you in person one day and and writing that book yeah <laughs> okay. Well, you know, if you got a if you got a strong idea, send it to me. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I might. Yeah, I might do that. It's something I'd like to do. I want to. I mean, I just find it's hard to get all your ideas down in one place, and uh, you know, you kind of need also a bit of a sounding board to keep the crazy stuff, <laughs> you know, contained. So yeah, you you might you might get an email from me one day. You know. Okay. Just. I, my recommendation is just don't worry about how it looks when you're right at the first time and just get it all out there and then, you know, chop it up and move it around and try and put it into a form that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you, you, the only way to get it done is to start. Uh, and for me personally, uh, the most important thing, the hardest and maybe the, I think the critical thing is to figure out how to organize it all so that, you know, it's, it's got some structure that, that hangs together and can make some sense. Mm. You know, a stream, 200 pages of stream of consciousness doesn't work, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, it's got yeah. to have a bit of a process, a logical progression yeah. grouped together. Um, fantastic. All right. Good luck. Yeah, thanks very much, Ron. Look forward to, for, to, to catching up one day. Take care. Okay, bye, Tom. Bye. Some of you may already know that I've been advising Carve and working with the team for some time now. And this year, the team has come up with probably some of the most exciting developments to date. They've been working on representing the most fun parts of skiing in their system. They've developed three brand new metrics, progressive edging, early weight transfer, and one that measures the G-force in a turn. 
And that one, I have to say, I got to try it out this winter in Australia, and that is really fun. This new addition is going to be incredible for anyone who's looking to really push their skiing up a notch. Now, what's even more interesting for this year is the system now detects what terrain you're on and pulls that into your ski IQ score. This is a huge change and a great upgrade because sometimes it would only really score well if you were skiing on perfectly groomed snow. Now it's going to accommodate and adjust whether you're skiing in steeper slopes, more chopped up snow or firmer snow. So this is a very big change that I think is massive kudos to the team to keep pushing and progressing the app even further. If you're the kind of skier that is looking for a tool to help push your technique that little bit further, then you should definitely check out what Carve can do. Use the code GELLIE15, that's G-E-L-L-I-E-1-5, to get 15% off for the next two weeks. 